0: Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to all of you. It is just a joy to see everybody here. This morning we're going to continue in our series in Matthew. And if you would, turn to Matthew 12. An appropriate verse for this time of year as you will, I hope, see in a little bit. And if you would... in. Look with me in verse 15, beginning there in chapter 12. Matthew writes, Jesus, aware of this. Now, what is he aware of? Well, we have to look back in verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. In verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles." He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Father, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us of your love and your care for us. Reminding us again and again of what you have done on our behalf by sending your son Jesus into the world. Lord, as we study this passage this morning, as we sit here, we await your Voice to speak to us that we might know you better and that we might glorify you in our lives. Lord, help me to serve these dear friends in Christ's name. Amen. I've probably used this illustration before, but every Christmas I get reminded of elementary school. Every year in elementary school we would have a gift exchange. And each year I would uh, I would arrive that day with great expectations and then experience great disappointment. Each year I can remember where I was sitting in 4th grade gifts were handed out and I opened mine I was expecting a matchbox car, even a book, something that a guy would like, and I got a lump of clay. The following year, I was at a different elementary school. We had a gift exchange. I had great expectations, and I unwrapped my gift, and it was the exact same lump of clay from the previous (laughs) year. Sixth grade comes. Gift exchange day arrives. I unwrap my gift. Sure enough, the conspiracy had been fulfilled because there was another lump of clay in front of me. Three years in a row. I am guaranteed, I'm sure my parents called the school, said, hey, he has had a bad year. Give him another lump of clay. I was grateful to get into middle school. No more gift exchanges. Now, over many centuries, the Jewish people had great expectations for the weighted Messiah. There were some who came pretending to be the Messiah, but they were quickly dismissed. And all the while, the Jews continued to suffer under oppressor after oppressor. Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, and now Romans, as we read in Matthew's Gospel. No one came to deliver them, as promised in the Old Testament prophecies. And even after a while, the prophecies stopped coming. God was Silent, and the world was battered, and God's people felt deserted. 400 years went by before God finally spoke through an angel to a young couple. And it is in this speaking that he fulfills his promise by sending a Messiah, as Matthew tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel. An angel comes to Mary and to Joseph, telling them that they will have a son named Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he is born, and three decades later, Jesus enters into his ministry. But just like my Christmas lump of clay, Jesus is not what people expected. They wanted a king to free them from Roman oppression and rule over their enemies, to conquer them. But what they got, what they saw, was a lowly carpenter from a backwater town of Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of God. But Jesus was different. As he moved among the towns and the villages in the synagogues in the countryside. He preached with an authority that no scribe or Pharisee ever did. He healed with miracles that astounded everyone, and he turned the religious leaders' legalistic man-made rules upside down, offending them all by spending time with sinners and the outcasts of society. This this lump of clay, they thought could not be the Messiah that they had hoped for or expected. He had not come to do what they had wanted. And in 1214, as we just read, it didn't take long before Jesus had enemies. The religious leaders were enraged at Jesus's disregard for the rules. In in 1213, Jesus is in the synagogue. It is the Sabbath. And then he sees a man with a withered hand and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. The Pharisees were enraged. Jesus disregarded their rules and he healed on the Sabbath and he challenged their understanding of God's word and Worst of all, he claimed to be God. And so their response was to seek his death. And like many in our world today, they hated Christ. They hated him because he was not who they wanted him to be or expected him to be. They wanted a Christ created in their own image. In the same way, many in our own culture want a God created in their image. But Jesus will not be the Messiah they want, but the Messiah that they need. He was not going to be a military conquering war hero who will vanquish the Romans. But instead, he was a humble and lowly servant whose purpose was this, to conquer Satan, sin, and death. His miracles were certainly spectacular, but they were not meant to call attention to himself, but to his heavenly father and the reality of the good news, the reality of the gospel. And in 12, 15 and 16, after the Sabbath miracle, we read Jesus aware of the Pharisees hatred towards him. He withdraws from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known." He was followed again, once again, by great crowds, as Mark writes, who were in desperate need. And Jesus heals them all. He heals skeptics. He heals Gentiles. He heals a Roman centurion servant. He heals lepers and many others with incurable diseases and lifelong infirmities. He healed them all, even when they did not put their faith in him. And Matthew, Matthew writes for us, for our benefit. Matthew wants to ensure that we, his readers, do not misunderstand who Jesus is. He is more than a miracle worker. And as he often does, Matthew quotes the Old Testament to affirm and clarify Jesus's identity and why why he came to earth. And he's always beginning with, this was to fulfill. And these words written Centuries, 2,000 years ago, these words written a generation after Jesus had been crucified and then resurrected, these words written still speak to us today. They tell us who Jesus is. He is the gentle, spirit-endowed, suffering servant who advances his mission of justice, salvation, to the nations, to all. Jesus, Jesus was not an imposing figure of military conquest, but a willing servant who, Paul writes in Philippians 2, emptied himself of his divine position in heaven to come to earth as one of us. Fully human, yet fully divine, and completely willing to fulfill his father's plan of redemption at the cost of his own life. And This passage here, Matthew quoting Isaiah. Matthew quotes Isaiah for us to tell us, let's let's remember who this man is, who this Savior is. And he describes God's chosen servant in this way. Behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the gentiles 3 3 points this morning that that Isaiah wants us to see in who Christ is. Is he is the beloved and willing servant of God. He is the humble and gentle servant of God and he is the heavenly servant who brings hope to all the world. Let's look at the first. He is the beloved and willing servant. Jesus in obedience to his father came humbly Came as a baby to bring his kingdom to earth to save our fallen world from itself. As appealing as as Christmas is, brothers and sisters, with its beautiful decorations and its music and family gatherings and the giving and receiving of gifts, that is not what Christmas is all about. The incarnation, what we celebrate as Christmas, is all about showing us this suffering servant who came to to live in our skin for our sake, to bear our sins that make us all, as Isaiah writes, bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, to bring us hope if we would trust in him, he came to earth not to discard those who are bruised or to quench those who are smoldering. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to set us free from sin and all its consequences, and he came that we might have life. And Isaiah, in his prophetic word that Matthew is now quoting, lays this out. For us. In Isaiah 42 and here in Matthew 12, 18, as Matthew quotes, the first word is behold. Behold. Take take a look. Look and see. Do not miss. Behold is is a a common refrain in, in Matthew's gospel. It's because he wants us, the readers, to see who Jesus is. You you've all, I'm sure, many of you have been shopping at a mall, probably, definitely at Amazon, I'm sure, but you've been shopping, you've been shopping at a mall, and you've seen what Christmas can be like. It can be harried. It can be tiresome. It can be wearisome. Parking spaces and the whatever, and it, it just gets, after a while, you just think, I'm glad Amazon's around. I just want to Order all the gifts. I don't have to go anywhere. You don't want to deal with the traffic. You don't want to deal with the crowds. The incarnation. Is about none of that. And that is why Matthew says. Behold. Let us look at this. Saviour. Look and see who God has chosen behold my servant whom I have chosen what what kind of servant he is he is God's chosen and he's God's beloved. And this should remind us of Jesus' baptism when John baptized him and, and the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we hear this refrain again, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. And filled and empowered with the Spirit, Jesus will accomplish what the Father chose him to do. To so love the world that he would give his own life. Here in Matthew's gospel, Isaiah's prophecy is it is a profound example of God's love. It is a profound example of God's love to you. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, whom I have sent. My own son who willingly would give up his life, for, who would do it for us. My own son, I have chosen him and I have sent him. And he came to earth for your sake and for mine. Do you ever question his love? Do you ever wonder, does the Lord really love me? The struggles I have with sin, the struggle I have in this life, just the suffering, the experiences, circumstances, the trials I face. where, Where really is God's love? In the midst of this pandemic, where is the love of God? Listen, Jesus came in human form to deal with all our human problems, our pain whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, our struggle to get out of bed in the morning, our fears about our children and how they will turn out, our fears about growing old, our moments of depression, our uncontrollable anger, our bitterness towards others who have hurt us, every sin we can name, Jesus came to deal with our human problems. He came to rescue, to restore, to sustain, to bless, loving us when we are not easy to love. And I realize sitting there, you're thinking, I I think I'm pretty easy to love. I'll let you know. Listen, he loved Jesus. He loved Matthew, a tax collector. He loved an unclean leper. He loved a demon-possessed man. He loved his whining and complaining disciples. He loved a Pharisee named Nicodemus and so many more. And the justice he proclaims to the Gentiles. He says, I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Is his promise that they too, that all will receive and be the offered salvation. Here is a declaration that the good news, the gospel is for everyone. And as you sit here today, if you are not a Christian. This this is a prophetic Spoken word from God to say, here's an offer of the gospel. Will you, will you respond? The gospel is offered to everyone. He loved all even as all are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. And just as he loved all these people, he has loved you and I just the same. He is God's willing, and beloved servant. Secondly, he is the humble and gentle servant. Rather than argue with the Pharisees, Jesus avoids confrontation with them. He, his, his time, his hour, as, scripture, as John writes in his Gospel and Scripture, often tells us that when it says his hour, it means his time of crucifixion. It had not yet come. And so his time to suffer persecution and crucifixion and death is not now. Even though the Pharisees want to make it now, as we read in, in 14. Jesus kept silent. He left the synagogue. He didn't want to be noticed. He didn't want the crowds. He, he says here, he told the crowds that had been healed. Don't, don't tell anyone. Just just keep silent. Jesus didn't want to be noticed as some great miracle worker. He just wanted to be heard. He wanted to be heard as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And it was his humility that guided his response. This was not the time to confront all the religious leaders. It was not the time to, to get into an argument with them and Matthew quotes Isaiah to show us how Jesus fulfills this prophetic word where he says he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He, he steps back in fulfillment of this prophetic word. It won't be long. It won't be long before Jesus does confront the Pharisees and the scribes, as we will read in just a few chapters. It won't be long, but now is not the time. This is what Isaiah is telling us. This is what Matthew is quoting. That we might know who Christ is. Now the religious leaders were arrogant. They were were arrogant and they were just the opposite. In the, the previous passage we saw what their stone cold hearts were all about. Rules were more important than people. They didn't care about the man with the withered hand. They didn't care that his life suffered because he had a withered hand. All they cared about were their rules being kept. And Jesus, just the opposite, shows compassion. This man with the withered hand, he was a bruised reed that was easily broken by the Pharisees. He was a smoldering wick that was easily put out by the Pharisees. That's who the Pharisees were. They cast aside the unlovable. They cast aside the untouchable, the unclean. And yet Jesus, the sovereign king, does exactly the opposite. What others will discard and what others will trample on without any thought, he gently, compassionately, and tenderly preserves. 1220, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. In this ancient culture, reeds were, were plentiful. They grew by the water, and they were used for a lot of different things on a daily, in daily life. But because they were easily broken, easily bruised, they were easily cast aside. And the same with, with, a, with a candle wick, that if it started to smolder, it was no longer of any use, and it too would be quickly discarded that 's what Isaiah is giving us this picture of, and in his prophecy, Jesus is this stunning and powerful contrast to kings and emperors and religious leaders of the day. To them, to, to them, nobody mattered. Cast anybody aside if they do not serve my kingdom or serve my purposes. to Jesus, every person mattered. His kingly stature did not separate him. From us, as it did with the earthly kings, because Jesus was one of us. He became one of us. The fragility of a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, it describes all humanity. The weight of sin and the bruising experience that we face from sin in this sin ravaged world makes us all fragile at times and the people matthew originally who he's writing to are oppressed they're oppressed by romans and they're oppressed by the religious leaders they they face a world of sin and but their greatest oppression is their own sin and their only hope and our only hope is the justice that jesus brings through his victory on the cross Listen, the imagery, look at the imagery. Imagine, Isaiah's prophecy describes an extraordinary willingness by Jesus as God's servant to preserve damaged, vulnerable people that society rejects. God's servant is not quick to condemn or discard, but to save and preserve. We're, We're... Where in your life do you see yourself as a bruised reed? Is it it physical limitations that you have? Is it your struggle with a particular sin? What about the disappointments you have in this life? My children didn't turn out as I would hoped. They're not obeying as I would hoped. My career is not what I had hoped. My experience as a Christian is not what I had expected or had hoped for. The struggles with my family. The struggles with my friends. The struggles with my church. You can feel like a bruised reed. Do you feel as though your life at times, do you feel as though your faith at times is like a smoldering wick? I don't know how much more of this I can take. I don't know where God is at this moment. And those thoughts run through your mind. Prolonged suffering can create that temptation prolonged relational breakdown can create that temptation. You can feel, you can can say today, I am a bruised reed. I, I am a smoldering wick. Trials, bereavements, tragedy, and in view of this profound passage about Jesus, you need to know That the Lord will never break you. And the Lord will never quench you or let you break or discard you like a smoldering wick. He will not let you go out. He will strengthen you by his grace. It's why he came. The reality of this truth gives great meaning and great beauty to the incarnation, to this Christmas season that we celebrate. He came for us as bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. And in his kindness, he invited us to come to him. He calls us by the Spirit to come to him for life. To drink living water. And in our lives as believers, as we feel bruised at times by this world, battered by this world. Sometimes our faith smoldering because of the world that we live in and the, the, our own sins that we, we face. He still tells us to come to Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is what bruised reeds and smoldering wicks do. They go to him. If we come to him, he promises us grace, saving grace, preserving grace, and sustaining grace. He offers this grace to us. He offers this grace to us in his word. He offers this grace to us in his church. He offers this grace to us. He is gentle and tender. And finally, he is the heavenly servant who brings hope to all the world. This prophecy that Matthew quotes is one of great hope and promise for all humanity. Not just the Jews. Jesus didn't come only for them but to save all who would put their trust in him. Isaiah tells us that it's at the name of Jesus that hope is found. True hope. Nowhere else but the name of Christ. Acts two, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Matthew tells us earlier in his gospel in chapter 1, which is often uh, typically read at Christmas time. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Everyone, says Isaiah, must put their hope in God's servant. This emissary of love who offers salvation to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. This, this prophecy doesn't see salvation for just a small group, but for the world. For all who trust in God's servant. Those who do will find justice in Christ's victory on the cross. Justice meted out upon Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Bearing our wrath and our judgment. Because of our sins. Listen, for the unbeliever... Jesus is the only hope they have to be free from the darkness of this world and the judgment of God. For the Christian, Jesus is the only hope as well. Secure in our salvation, yes, we, we strengthen our hope in his presence. When we, when we gather together, when we read his word, as we fellowship with one another, and, and he gives us grace. He gives us grace through the working of the Spirit. And we hope in His name. We hope in His name for eternal life. A a life that has been promised to us. A life that defies our ability to adequately describe it, really. An eternal life of joy and peace and freedom where there is no, no pain and no tears. No sorrow, no suffering, no sickness. He is the hope of all the world. And he is our hope today. Matthew quotes this profound passage in Isaiah for you. For you. He wrote his gospel a generation after Jesus' death and resurrection. But it is still God's word for us today. And when we read his word, grace comes We We are being called by Matthew as he quotes Isaiah, we are being called by Matthew to see beyond our circumstances and to see Christ. Not only the Christ of the crucifixion and resurrection, but Jesus, who is gentle and humble today as he was when he walked on the earth. It is the same Christ that, that came to all these people, that healed them all. All who were bruised. All who were smoldering. All who were enslaved in sin. All who were depressed. All who were despairing. All who were sad. All who were fearful. All who were struggling with anger. He healed them all. He healed them all. It is... Jesus, that Matthew wants us, his readers, to come to. All who are weary and heavy laden. Now, maybe I will still get a lump of clay for Christmas. <laughs> but I, I refuse to let my joy depend upon anything other than knowing Christ. Christ. And his love for me. And I, I want you to feel the same exact way. I'm sure you won't get a lump of clay. But you have a Savior who is gentle and lowly in heart. Who is humbly willing to take a bruised reed and care for it and a smoldering wick and preserve it. And that is who our Savior is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us in your word not only who Christ is, but how he cares for us. And I pray this morning, Lord, for those among us who are struggling, feeling bruised and battered, that they would, they would have strength given to them by the Holy Spirit to come to you and to cast their cares upon you because you care for them. That they would cast their burden upon you, that you might give them your yoke, which is easy and light. And I pray for those whose faith is, is smoldering and, and feeling as though it might go out that You would preserve them and refresh them and strengthen them today. And Lord, for those who, who do not hope in You yet, I pray, I pray that You would open their eyes to the glory of the Gospel, the incarnation, the coming of Your Son, That we might find life. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.